It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Someone was clearly inside the small house. That much was clear. Last year, as Kevin and I approached the residence in a rundown part of Indianapolis, we heard loud music blaring from within. It didn't sound like the person inside was expecting any callers. We went there, of course, because of the Burger Chef case. The Speedway police mishandled the crime scene, destroying priceless physical evidence that could have linked specific suspects to the murders. But some physical evidence survived, and it could potentially be crucial. Law enforcement found a palm print on the car of Burger Chef manager Jane Freet. After decades of work, police identified who it belonged to, a man we'll call Peters. That's not his real name. We decided we wanted to talk to Peters, 
to ask him what he was doing hanging around Jane's car around the night of the murders. So we visited his house and knocked on his door. We had no luck talking to Peters, but we do understand he was a friend of Kevin Flemons, the older brother of one of the victims in the slayings. Kevin Flemons himself later served time in prison for his role in a drug-related murder. And he was not the only relative of a Burger Chef victim who had troubling ties to the underworld of Indianapolis. In this episode of The Murder Sheet Presents, You Never Can Forget, we'll discuss how the brothers of not one, but two of the Burger Chef victims came under suspicion from police. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we're the Murder Sheet. We'll be taking a multi-part look into the Burger Chef murders. We'll be presenting you with a new theory about what happened each week as part of our mini-series, You Never Can Forget. On a weekly basis, you're going to hear from figures you've never heard from before. You're going to hear about facts that you've never heard before. And hopefully you'll walk away with a better understanding of the sheer complexity of this awful crime. We don't just rely on what we've been told or what we've read. We have worked this case ourselves. We decided to do this podcast so we can tell you what we've learned and even clear up a few misconceptions. In this mini-series, we will give you the top theories about this crime. After we're finished covering the Burger Chef case, the murder sheet will continue to investigate different restaurant-related homicides for the rest of Season 1. We're the Murder Sheet, and this is You Never Can Forget, The Brother. Adrian Brown was supposed to spend Christmas Eve with his girlfriend. She even sent a cab over to his house at 8 p.m. to pick him up and bring him over to her place. But he never showed up. Maybe at first she felt annoyed and even angry, but as the hours passed, she grew more and more worried. Eventually, she decided to go over to his place and see what was going on. She got there around 3 a.m., The lights in his apartment were burning bright. 
If she knocked on the door, he didn't answer. She tried to open it and found it unlocked. She went inside. At first, she didn't see anything unusual or out of place. There weren't any signs of a struggle or a commotion. Everything looked normal, except for the fact that Adrian was not there. Then, she went into his bedroom. Things looked all right there, too, but only until she noticed the open closet door. That's when she found him. He was lying face down, his body jammed into a crawl space beneath the closet. Standing over him, looking down in the hole, the only things she could see were his legs and his feet. She phoned the police. Officers discovered that Adrian had died from gunshots to the abdomen. His wallet was still on his body, which made robbery seem like an unlikely motive. So what happened? And how is this possibly connected to the Burger Chef murders? To answer that question, we need to go back a few hours on Christmas Eve 1981. That's when four men, James Bryant, Stanley Bryant, Wilbert Harrison, and Kevin Flemons, went on a crime spree. If that last name sounded familiar, it is because Kevin Flemons was the older brother of Mark Flemons, one of the four victims in the Burger Chef murders. Mark was the youngest victim, and also the only victim who was a person of color. The first thing the four men did on their holiday was hold up a gas station. About 15 minutes after that, they robbed a man they encountered on the street. And then they got an idea. They knew Adrian was a drug dealer, that he sold marijuana. They decided to steal his supply. There was a complication, though. Adrian knew three of the four men and so Shirley would not hesitate to identify them to the police. But that was a problem easily solved. All they would have to do was kill him. One of the four contacted Adrian and made arrangements to buy some marijuana. Adrian let him into his place, and then went to fetch the drugs. While he was gone, two more members of the group snuck in. They surprised Adrian while he was in the crawl space beneath his closet. That's where he hid his drugs. And they started shooting him. Adrian was hit by bullets fired from three different guns. The robbers grabbed the drugs they wanted and fled. But it didn't take long for them to get caught. Kevin got arrested on another robbery charge a few days later. When police tested the gun he had on him when they picked him up, they learned it was one of the weapons that had been used to kill Adrian. After that... It was only a matter of time before everything that happened came out into the open. The murder of Adrian Brown attracted the attention of investigators and reporters interested in the Burger Chef case. The killing was drug-related, and one of the killers was a relative of a Burger Chef victim. If Kevin Flemons was part of the violent drug culture in Indianapolis, wasn't it possible he could somehow be linked to the tragedy that befell his brother? And, in fact... There was a more direct link between Kevin Flemons and what happened at the Burger Chef. When investigators found manager Jane Freed's car abandoned near the police station, they dusted it for prints, and they found one. A palm print. It would take decades, but eventually, police would discover who it belonged to. A friend of Kevin Flemons that we're calling Peters. Could this mean that Peters was one of the killers? and that he somehow had been acting in concert with Kevin Flemons? When an investigator from the state police talked with Peters, 
the man could not provide an explanation for how his print got on the car. But he did not have much of a criminal record, mainly just things like disorderly conduct. He agreed to take a lie detector test, and he passed it. While it certainly remains possible that Peter's palm print got on the car while he was herding Jane or the other victims into the vehicle on the night of the killings, that is far from the only explanation. Jane's car was in the Burger Chef lot every night when she worked. It seems more likely that he may have just allowed his palm to brush against it some evening as he walked by on his way into the restaurant. When considering whether or not the Burger Chef killers were people of color, we should remember how racist Indiana could be in 1978. In Speedway, people of color were frequently pulled over and harassed by law enforcement. Would a person of color commit a crime in an area like that, where he could attract the attention of police just for being black? And would he take the risk of transporting white victims through the area, knowing he could be randomly stopped by the police at any time? And, of course, the victims were transported to Johnson County, which at this time had a reputation for being unwelcoming to people of color. Is this the sort of place a black man or a group of black men would choose to commit quadruple homicide? Not to mention, there's also the matter of George Nichols and his girlfriend spotting two white men, a bearded man and a clean-shaven man, outside the restaurant on the night of the kidnappings. Still, the fact of Kevin Flemons's crime remained, and Adrian's murder wasn't his first brush with the law. In November 1980, he was one of 110 people arrested on stolen car charges in a massive sting operation. Prosecutor Stephen Goldsmith noted in the press that many of those arrested were substantial drug users. In Indiana at that time, there seemed to be a great deal of overlap between those involved in the drug trade and those stealing cars. In fact, there was a major drug-slash-car theft ring said to be operating in Speedway at the time of the Burger Chef murders. This ring allegedly enjoyed police protection and was reported to have done some of its business inside the restaurant itself. Most of what we know about this ring and its operation comes from the reporting of Paul Byrd and Skip Hess, two well-respected journalists who worked at the Indianapolis News. We have not been able to independently confirm their work, and when I briefly spoke with Hess a while back, he did not recall many details about it. The reporters wrote about how major cocaine operations in the state of Indiana were financed by prominent businessmen, and that these drug operations were connected to several murders. Some of the drug operations, as we've said, were linked to Speedway. A drug and vehicle theft ring was said to operate out of a home in Speedway, and a Speedway police officer was alleged to spend several nights a week at the home. The officer, for some reason, developed the habit of removing his hat and placing it in the back seat of his car before entering the home. The news had reporters surveil the home and copy down names and identifying information of the people who visited there. The reporter supplied all of this information, including the name of the Speedway police officer, to the police. A follow-up article about a year later added a troubling piece to the puzzle. 
This drug ring distributed its wares by making use of several so-called drop points. In short, after you paid for your drugs, you would pick them up at one of a few possible locations. One of these drop points, for instance, was at a real estate development where associates of people involved in the drug trade often stayed for free. Another one of these drop points was at the Speedway Burger Chef. Drugs were said to be left in hiding places in the bathroom there to be picked up by customers who had already paid for their wares. Word of this arrangement reached the police before the murders. They even conducted some surveillance of the restaurant in hopes of catching the drug ring in action, but nothing came of it. If this information is accurate, it could suggest another motive for what happened at the restaurant. Perhaps the perpetrators were there to retrieve some drugs from the restroom and discovered the stash missing. Perhaps the four victims were kidnapped in the hopes they could be forced to reveal the whereabouts of the missing drugs. That is just speculation. But it is something that is often whispered as a possibility, especially since this drug ring was explicitly said to be connected to several murders. But, of course, not every drug ring in the area resorted to violence. One so prided itself on sticking to basic business principles that it called itself the company. And the press carried speculation that Jimmy Freet, the brother of victim Jane Freet, could actually have been connected to that organization. Let's take a quick break from the Murder Sheet Presents You Never Can Forget to tell you about a podcast investigating yet another unforgettable crime. The Orange Tree is a seven-part series about a 2005 homicide that happened near the University of Texas at Austin. The murder of 21-year-old Jennifer Cave, who was shot, dismembered, and left in a bathtub at her friend Colton Petoniak's apartment, continues to haunt the area to this day. Like the Burger Chef murders, this case features plenty of twists and turns, including Colton's flight to Mexico with another UT student, Laura Hall. Both were later convicted in connection with the crime, although Colton has continued to appeal his verdict and claim innocence. The business student turned convicted murderer now says that he doesn't even remember much about the night Jennifer died. The Orange Tree is reported on and produced by Haley Butler and Tanu Thomas were both seniors at the University of Texas when they started this project. Together, Haley and Tanu strive to piece together this tragic story in an in-depth podcast that features audio from courtroom scenes and interrogation rooms, prison phone calls, and exclusive interviews with both the perpetrators and the victim's family. You can binge all seven episodes of The Orange Tree today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, 
you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, back to the murder sheet. People have speculated for decades that Jimmy Freet, the brother of victim Jane Freet, could have played a role in the Burger Chef murders. Even his friends have posted comments on social media airing their suspicions of the man but no one seems to have ever offered hard evidence that he actually bore any responsibility for the deaths. We've heard plenty of wild stories and rumors about Jimmy Freet over the years. Donald Forrester even flatly said that the man was involved in the murders. But I decided that I should try to get as close to the source as I could. So, back in 2018, I wrote a letter and mailed it off to a prison in Minnesota. I was trying to reach out to Dutch Freet, Jimmy's son, who was, at the time, incarcerated on drugs and weapon charges. I thought he might be able to help me better understand his father's possible role in the case. Dutch sent me a postcard back. He wrote, I would like to have an interview with you. I know too much. So, of course, I drove up to Minnesota to meet with Dutch. We spoke in an office room in the prison. It looked a bit like a guidance counselor's office, and I later learned that the prison had once been a school. Dutch is a bigger guy who seemed determined to learn from his mistakes and improve his life. He shared his memory of visiting the Speedway Burger Chef on the night of the murders. Dutch and his dad looked for Jane. Dutch recalled that his aunt always went out of her way to make him feel special. As the assistant manager of the restaurant, she'd allow her nephew to visit the kitchen, giving him a behind-the-scenes glance into how they cooked the burgers and fries. But Jimmy Freed and his son Dutch did not see Jane when they visited around 5 p.m., so they ate their meals and left. We mentioned in episode 1, The Night, that Dutch does remember seeing Mark Flemons practicing karate moves in the restaurant that evening. 
Dutch seemed like a truly genuine person who loved his father and the rest of his family. He said his Aunt Jane was allergic to pot and was not involved in the drug trade. Dutch spoke of how his late grandparents never recovered from losing Jane, how they held out hope the crime would be solved for decades. He expressed the feeling that his dad wouldn't have hurt anyone, let alone his own sister, Jane. But Jimmy Freed's legal troubles dredged up a good deal of suspicion about the man over the years. James Freed, who went by Jimmy, was the oldest of four children born to George and Carolyn Freed. He had a brother and two sisters, including Jane. Freed may have attended Purdue University and IUPUI at one point, but he seemingly never graduated. At the time of the murders, he was working at Peerless Pump on the west side of Indianapolis. Jane's obituary listed him as living in Morgantown, a town 40 minutes to the south of Indy. We know from Dutch and from Jimmy Freed's own statements to the Indianapolis Star that the father and son pair visited the Speedway Burger Chef on the night of the disappearances. We've also heard unverified reports that Jimmy Freed may have been at the Galaxy, the under-21 club across the street from the restaurant, that same night, but we're not sure if we can believe that source. Starting the year after his sister's murder, Jimmy Freed began appearing in the local papers, namely the Brown County Democrat and the Martinsville Reporter Times, over his financial woes. He was getting hit over back taxes and unpaid electric bills. By 1981, he'd lost his job at Peerless Pump. But his money troubles weren't the only problem he was dealing with. On March 5, 1981, Jimmy Freed and two other men were arrested on cocaine dealing charges. The Drug Enforcement Administration had teamed up with Indianapolis police as part of a five-week undercover investigation into a large cocaine ring based on the city's east side. The trap snapped closed after the then 29-year-old Jimmy Freed his roommate Roger Pearson, and Daniel Ray sold two ounces of cocaine to an undercover agent for $4,600. In the ensuing raid, police confiscated cocaine, cannabis, and quaaludes from the residence Jimmy Freet and Pearson shared. The crew of dealers were said to sell their illicit wares in Eastside bars. Investigators looking into the Burger Chef murders said they were open to the possibility the dealers may have also sold on the West Side or even Speedway. The Indianapolis Star ran Jimmy Freed's mugshot. The image shows a man with dark, wild hair and a thick beard, eyes glancing to the side. Despite his scruffy appearance, he bears a resemblance to Jane, especially around his nose. Some have also argued that he's the image of the bearded man sketch, although Kevin and I posit that so are most white guys with a beard in 1978. Sources who knew the Freet family have told us that the siblings were all very close, but those family ties didn't stop investigators from wondering whether or not Jimmy Freet knew more than what he was saying about the 1978 Burger Chef murders. After all, police had long suspected the narcotics could have factored into the motive for those slayings. On March 12, 1981, Bird and Hess published a story in the Indianapolis News, noting that investigators were considering the angle that Jimmy Freet knew more about the Burger Chef murders than he was letting on. 
Police sources told the reporters that the arrest cemented a direct link between the murder victims and a serious group of drug dealers. The article also linked Freet and his fellow dealers to the company. To find out more about this mysterious organization, we spoke last year with a retired Indianapolis police officer who investigated the company. He invited us into his home, and we chatted about this intricate drug ring for hours. The retired officer felt that it was unlikely the company would have been involved in a homicide like Burger Chef, as their mode of operation tended to reflect their professional-sounding moniker. The company ran like a business, and you don't murder people over business disputes. I also drove up to the National Archives in Chicago and spent hours digging through federal court records related to criminal cases associated with the company. I didn't find much mention of violence in the pages I reviewed, and there was no word whatsoever about running drugs out of a restaurant. For his part, Jimmy Freet denied having any knowledge of the company. He also pushed back against speculation that he'd had a hand in, or at least guilty knowledge regarding, his sister's murder. On March 18th, Jimmy Freet told Scott L. Miley of The Star that he was in complete shock that he was being looked at in the Burger Chef case. He complained that a week after his arrest, he still hadn't been questioned about his connection to the murders. He wanted to have it out with investigators. According to the jailed man, neighbors had begun harassing his family over his arrest. He also said his own mother had cut off contact with him, which might suggest she had her own doubts over her son's possible guilt in the death of his sister. While Jimmy Freed was still being held in jail, he encountered Alan Pruitt, whose story we recounted in the episodes The Creek and The Backbone. It's unclear what exactly transpired between these two inmates, but allegedly Pruitt made a comment offering condolences about Jane, which somehow sparked a confrontation between the two men. That snarling match brought Pruitt onto the radar of jail counselors and later the state police, after he indicated he had information on the Burger Chef case. And we'll note again that Donald Forrester also brought up Jimmy Freet. In his recounting of the murders, Forrester claimed, with no evidence, that the Freet siblings racked up a cocaine debt they could not pay, which ultimately triggered the murders. If you need a refresher, we covered the Forrester angle in our episodes The Tank and The Confessions. Nowadays, Pruitt often expresses suspicion about Jimmy Freet. His recounted memories don't offer much by way of facts, though. For example, he's told us about Jimmy Freet and Tim Willoughby roving the halls of Avon High School together. But Jimmy Freet never attended that school. Mostly, he speculates about the man's possible involvement and tells us that Jimmy Freet was a crazy fellow with Manson family eyes and a tangled mane of hair, and that he looked a lot like Kevin. Back in March of 1981, after a week or so of speculation about Jimmy Freed's possible involvement with the unsolved Burger Chef case, state police told Miley that there was no connection after all. State Police Lieutenant Larry Carmichael told reporters that he positively eliminated Jimmy Freed after interviewing him although his assertion directly conflicts with Jimmy Freed's complaint that he'd gone without a Burger Chef-related interview. 
Carmichael went on to claim that he had taken over the case from Kramer. Kevin and I know from studying this case that the investigation was plagued by police officers clambering all over one another in a bid to solve the mystery. And the local news media knew that back in 1981, too. The Indianapolis News ran a blind item criticizing the state police for their rendition of cops and robbers, saying, It's the same old game the state boys have been playing since the murders and getting nowhere on the investigation. Side note, in the newspaper business, blind items refer to short articles containing tidbits from unnamed sources. It's unclear what, if anything, Carmichael learned that caused him to drop the Jimmy Freed lead so quickly. Jimmy Freed's trial on cocaine dealing charges began in January of 1982. He was ultimately convicted and given a six-year suspended sentence. His roommate Pearson received 20 years, although Ray also got a suspended sentence. It's unclear why Jimmy Freed and Ray got off so easy compared to their fellow dealer. After the cocaine bust, it appears that Jimmy Freed lived a pretty quiet life, at least on the surface. The last time he appeared in the Indiana papers, it was for a driving find he racked up in 2004. He died in 2013. Despite that, Jimmy Freed has remained an enigmatic figure in the Burger Chef case. Could the brother of one of the victims have known more about the crime or even participated in the killings? Freed's cocaine dealing also prompted whispers about victim Jane Freed potentially being involved in the drug trade herself. People who knew her growing up say that she was simply too focused on her career at Burger Chef to get involved with something like that. Many tell us she may have occasionally smoked a joint, but others say she hated even the smell of weed. We do feel that there was a lot of sadness in Jane's life in the weeks leading up until the murders. She and her once close boyfriend had drifted. She was living alone for the first time in a while. It's possible that a young person, remember she was only 20 years old, could have gotten caught up in something. But there's no evidence of that either way. Jimmy Freed's son, Dutch, did share one chilling detail that made us wonder about his father's protective instincts, or lack thereof. Dutch said that his father's roommate, Pearson, the cocaine ringleader who was sentenced to 20 years, once jokingly held a knife to his throat when he was just a kid. Jimmy Freet watched while that happened. He did nothing to protect his son. Would a man like that intervene to stop others from harming his younger sister and her co-workers? Or was Jimmy Freet just a man who made a few mistakes and who ended up being a convenient scapegoat? When we look at the crimes of Kevin Flemons and Jimmy Freed, we feel torn. Sometimes it seems like casting suspicion on the relatives of murder victims is just a less direct form of victim blaming. We can imagine the deep pain this would inflict on the Flemons and Freed families. It's also possible that the trauma of losing a sibling to violence could have helped to push these two young men down dark paths. But, on the other hand, it's foolish to rule out the possibility that someone close to one of the victims may have been involved. It seems possible that the Burgershev murders were an instance of targeted violence, and someone close to the victims didn't necessarily have to directly participate in the murders. 
they simply could have guilty knowledge that they never shared with the police. Unfortunately, answers are not forthcoming on this angle. Jimmy Freed is dead, and Kevin Flemons appears to be incarcerated on probationary issues pertaining to a sexual offense. When we called on his address last autumn, he did not come to the door. Join us next week, where we'll wrap up our dive into the Burger Chef murders for now and share our conclusions on this horrifying cold case. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet Presents You Never Can Forget. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. For exclusive content like bonus episodes and case files, become a patron of The Murder Sheet on Patreon at patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you enjoyed listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Before you go, please stick around to hear from our friend Nina from the Already Gone podcast, a great show you should definitely be checking out. I first learned about the Burger Chef murders from her 2016 episode on the case. Murder, missing persons, unsolved mysteries. Already Gone explores lesser-known cases from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. I'm Nina Instead, the voice behind the Already Gone podcast. Join me for an in-depth look at stories that will have you looking over your shoulder and locking the doors at night. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.